blessed with some wonderful people here at Kingsway. I appreciate you guys and your sharing. Um, we're in Philippians chapter 3 this morning for the message, uh, verses 10 through 14. A message entitled, Moving Past the Past. Sometimes we get stuck in the past. Talk this morning about how we need to move ahead and not stay behind. Ask when you find that, uh, Philippians 3, 10 through 14, if you will stand our great God's honor as I read from the scripture. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow... To attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this. Or have already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind And straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal. To win the prize. For which God has called me. Heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father we. Are a people of hope Lord. And. uh, Yeah we have our stuff. And you know all about it. And yet, for the believer, there is always tomorrow. There is always the cross. And always the resurrection. And Lord, we just look to you as we think about this new year. and The call that you have given us to move past the past. I ask, oh God, you would continue to speak to us in this worship service as you already have, Lord through your people, through music and prayers. Um, Father, um, opportunity to give. You have ministered, so continue. We need you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There is an analogy in this text to running. As I think of running, I, I think back to when our youngest son, Daniel... I played soccer for the first time on those little five, six-year-old teams. And there was a girl on the team named Stella May. She was the most entertaining part of the soccer season for me because Stella May wanted to run really fast. And if you looked at Stella May's face... There was determination. There was focus. And she was on mission. The problem was the rest of her body did not cooperate. And it was almost like slow motion. And man, you wanted to root for Stella May. Because she was trying so hard. Cindy and I, the past couple of years, have started trying to run. Our goal is to get where we could do one of those 5Ks 
so far we still hadn't hit the three mile mark. We hadn't made it there yet. But we get out there and we're running. But the problem is, I feel like Stella May. Because I'm, I'm focused, but I'm running and, and there's all these young people. You know, and they're just going, you know, it's almost like they're going by me like, are you ready to start yet? You know, I mean. <laughs> they're just kind of flying by me. And, and, you know, if we ever get through there, it might be considered the miracle run. <laughs> and as I thought about that, I make mention of another run. It was in 1954. Two guys, one from England, Roger Bannister, and the other one from Australia, a guy by the name of John Landy. What was significant about this race, it was the first time two guys had broken the four-minute mile barrier. And what a race it was. As they came to that last lap, John Landy was almost a whole lap ahead. He had His strategy was to turn it on at the end, but he had to turn it on a little sooner out of fear of not being able to come back. The crowd began to cheer as it was held in England. Uh, where Bannister, of course, was from. And as they ran, as the crowds cheered, Landy began thinking, where is he? And as he looked over his shoulder, (laughs) it gave Bannister just that moment to pass him and win the race at the end. And, and, you know, using that significantly, sometimes we feel like Stella May or Todd or Cindy, (laughs) just trying to get there. But not, you know, feel like we're not moving very fast. Well, the way to correct that, believe me, is not to look behind because it will break your stride and, and not allow you to be able to, you know, to keep that stride and that speed that is necessary. This morning, I want to look at several truths from this scripture in running the race. First, we see here, I've come a long way, but I have not arrived. I want you to look at our text here. And here are the heart of Paul. I love verse 10. It's one of my favorite verses. He says, I want to know Christ. Church, I, I pray that that is our passion. Um, there are a lot of things we run after. But there is only one who is worthy. He said, I want to know Christ. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for, for uh, Tim and George as they're getting us on that yearly Bible reading, get, getting us going. And, and what a blessing uh, for that because uh, God speaks to us through His Scriptures. But he says, I want to know Christ. And I love the next part because he says, I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of His resurrection. You know, it says in Romans 8, I can't remember if it's verse 10 or verse 11. Uh, where he says that the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Now think about that. Paul says, I want to know you, Jesus, and I want to know the power of your resurrection. But he doesn't end there. He says, and I want to know the fellowship of your sufferings. And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. What's he saying? He says, I want to know you, Lord, and I don't want to just know the comfy stuff. I want to have a heart that's in tune with your heart. The resurrection power, the suffering. I want it all to bring me close to you. And that was Paul's heart. 
But, but he goes on from there. <laughs> and he says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. In other words, this guy that we Baptists, I mean, we consider him the superhero of the Christian faith, you know, that Paul. And we don't romanticize it like he was. He always had the right words and he always had the right ways. And Man, he he walked with Jesus. Paul says, hey, I haven't arrived. He said, I know my heart. When he says perfect, it means to be morally perfect. It, it means to always do the right thing and say the all right thing that is in connection with Jesus. And Paul said, not me. I am not there. That, that is not where I am. And it's amazing when you think about this guy. God used to pen so many of the, the letters that are in our New Testament. He, he saw heavenly visions. He, he was faithful to the point of death. He was brave. He was courageous. But yet he said, hey, I'm still learning. I still fall. I still sin. I am still struggling. Matter of fact, what Paul's saying here, he says, I have a holy dissatisfaction. I want to know him more deeply. It says in the uh, Amplified, in in that Philippians 3.10, he says, "I, I want to be more intimately acquainted with him, with Jesus. That That's the ultimate heart. Of Paul. Um, And I mean let's face it. None of us have arrived. We all have issues. May not know your issue. But all I have to do is. Ask your spouse. Or ask your kid. Or ask your parent. Or somebody can give me the truth. Right? Why? Because. Jesus didn't come to save perfect people. Came and save you and me. And Paul said, "Look, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to be right, but I still need a savior. And guys, that needs that needs to be the focus this year as we step out. Because sometimes what happens? We look left, we look right, we say, I'm thankful I'm not like her. Thankful I'm doing better than him. The goal is not to be like her. The goal is not to be just like him. The goal is to be like Jesus." That's what Paul is is sharing here. Number two, I'm not quitting. I am pressing on the next part of verse 12. He says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And it's interesting here that took hold is a verb that could be translated to capture. He says, but I press on to be captured by Christ who captured me. You see, that that's the story of every Christian. Is we're looking for meaning. We're looking, why am I here? What matters in life? I, I, I need a sense of, why should I get up this morning? And then ultimately we see, I need somebody to love me. I need to be forgiven. And what Paul says is, that's what happened to me. I was on this road and I was walking and I was going after these people. Man, I'm throwing them in jail. Uh, I didn't care if, if they were executed. 
I was totally against these people who followed this one called Jesus. But I met him on the road and he blinded me. And he humbled me. And he changed me. And, and, and that's what he's, what he's saying. He says, he's captured me. I want to be captured by. Man, what, what, a, what an awesome resolution for this year, right? Is, is, Lord, you have captured me through your grace to save me. Now, may I be captured with you as I move on this year. That other people might see Jesus leaking out of me. Um, I love it. Uh, as one guy translated it. I press on to grip greater intimacy and consistency with Christ, knowing that I am in the grip of His grace. The grip of His grace. Paul's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not chasing down salvation. I'm not talking about running after justification. If I run fast enough, maybe I'll make it into the family of God. He says, that's not what I'm doing at all. He says, I've already been captured. And I, I want that to be my heart. He says, I'm keeping on in my pressing on. To press on with that wonderful thought. Maybe you heard the story of the farmer who had an old well. And thought, I really need to do something with that old well. I need to fill it in one day. So he got ready and he Got him a bunch of dirt with his tractor out there by that old well. And would you believe, right at the time he decided he was going to fill up that old well, his old dog fell in. And the farmer said, well, I love that old dog, but I just don't, I can't get him out of there. It's too far down. So he starts those dirt down in that well. First, that old dog just a howling, upset. Oh, no. But he shakes it off the dirt and he steps up. And as the dirt keeps going down into the well, the old dog figures out, well, if I just shake it off and step up. And that's what he does. He keeps shaking it off. He keeps stepping up. And he's exhausted. But finally, that old dog ends up out of the well. What looked like it was going to destroy him actually saved him. As he kept shaking it off and stepping up. And that's our call I don't know what it is you're facing but shake it off and step up in Christ keep pressing on in the name of Christ third I'm not narrow minded but I'm single minded I love it here how he says it in the text brothers I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it the one thing I do is not narrow-minded, but he's single-minded. He's got one goal upon his heart, just like a heat-seeking missile. I love how D.L. Moody put it. He, he, he wrote, uh, it's better to say this one thing I do than to say these 40 things I dabble in. Right. So easy to be a dabbler instead of a doer. And he tells us to focus on Jesus. Hey, and, and the Christian life, more than a sprint, it's like a hurdle. If you're like me, I keep knocking down those things. But you keep running. In Christ, there's the importance of that focus. Uh, fourth, I can remember yesterday, but I'm choosing to move past the past. 
He says in verse 13, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Not always looking over your shoulder. Not always looking in the past. I know, we've all got those tapes that play back. I've got it every once in a while. I'll remember some stupid sin I did. Some dumb decision I made. And I'll hear it. Why did you do that, Todd? And I'll have my pity party for a couple minutes. And then Jesus says, it's over. Get over it. Move on. Go forward. And, and that's, what he's, that's what he's saying here. Don't be looking in the past. It's like trying to run with a, a ball and chain around your ankles. You're not going to be able to move that way. Get past the past. In Numbers 11.5, the people, the Hebrews are in the wilderness. And they're discouraged. And they say, we remember the fish which we used to eat in Egypt. The cucumbers. And the melon. Oh, they remember the joy of Egypt. What they've chosen to forget is they were slaves. What they've chosen to forget is there was an escape where God set them free. See, God doesn't call us to forget everything. Just to forget the right things. In the context of running and in pursuing Christ. The right things that need to be left behind in our growth. Paul isn't talking about developing some kind of spiritual amnesia. Where you forget everything. Matter of fact in the scripture here in the New Testament. When it talks about forgetting something. It doesn't mean that you don't remember Anything. Matter of fact, I am beginning to relate to that, guys. My memory has been hijacked to some degree. I've been thinking about buying one of those things you can attach to your keys or maybe to your glasses. Other things you may lose. Uh, I feel like that poor spiritual guy that says, you know, as my life goes on, I just keep thinking more and more about the hereafter. I walk into a room and I ask, now, what am I here after? But, but that's not, you know, what the Apostle Paul is talking about is that you can't remember anything. Matter of fact, biblically, what it's talking about here is to no longer be influenced or affected by that thought. By that remembrance of. And see, that's the beauty of what the Scripture... When Jesus says, I will remember your sins no more, what He means, I will no longer allow your sins to influence the way that I treat you and the way I think about you and your standing before me. He has chosen in Christ to see you as forgiven. He has chosen in Christ to see you as His, headed to heaven. Hey, we can't change the past, but we can change the meaning of the past. Amen. Uh, Joseph is a good example of this. Remember Joseph, he sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. Uh, he's doing good, uh, working in the house of Potiphar, Potiphar's wife. Oh, well, what a mess that ends up. She accuses him of sexual molestation. He ends up in jail. Why he's in jail on these false charges. He's forgotten by other prisoners whom he helped and he served. And he could have just been totally discouraged and disgusted. 
But God raises him up out of all this. Puts him in a position of power. And then his brothers come to see him. And yeah, he did yank their chain a little bit. I know. He, he did mess with them some. But in the end, I love it, what he said to him. This is from Genesis 50, 20. He said, you meant what you did for evil, but God meant it for good. In other words, I haven't forgotten all that stuff you did to me. But I choose not to let it control the way I see you and treat you and think about you. See, I, I believe he still felt the horror of being abandoned by his family and sold into slavery by his brothers and the pain of that long journey into Egypt where he was auctioned off as a slave and the crushing blow of Potiphar's wife making these accusations that landed him in prison. I think he could still smell in his memory that old jail cell and, and he could feel the despair of being forgotten time and time again. But he chose... He chose not to dwell on the past so that the past controlled how he felt in the present. Instead, he chose to reach forward. And we're to reach forward in Christ. All right. I'm to the last one. I'm not expecting the race to get easier, but the prize will be worth it all. Look here in, in a, our text. Verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So there is a prize and it's heavenward. There's a prize he's called us to. In Paul's day, those who would compete in the games, they received prizes. Uh, the historians say that commonly they would receive 500 pieces of money that uh, you know, was worth a lot. They would receive front row tickets to the theaters to see performances. And they received free meals. <laughs> and this would come to the mind of those who were listening to the apostle. But Paul said, hey, what we're talking about here, it's far more than some good seats and a performance or a great meal or some some money. It's far more what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about what is mortal, what is flesh, becoming immortal. I, I'm, I'm talking about a new hope and a new mind and the battle will be gone where there's a struggle to be what I'm not because one day I will be. I love it in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. You know, we call it the left chapter. He says, now we see but a poor reflection. And man, sometimes I feel like a poor reflection of what I know I should be in Christ. He says, now we see but a poor reflection. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Isn't that great? Think about that. One day, this poor reflection that we are in trying to be like Jesus, one day will be a reflection of Jesus. And we'll see Him face to face, and we're going to be transformed into His glory. If you can't get excited about that, check your pulse. Man, 
Paul writes, this isn't just a race that you win by beating those around you. This is a race toward Jesus. And as we run, no matter how fast you're running, you're going to get there. You're going to be with Jesus. That's what he's talking about here in this wonderful heavenly calling. You see, the most intense pleasure of all when we get there, uh, as one author writes, he says, the prize in Paul's mind is bigger than escaping the world's miseries. Better than never going hungry again or being free from pain and sickness or reuniting with redeemed loved ones. The best thing about the prize that awaits us at the finish line is not the taste of the food at the Lamb's wedding supper. It isn't having tears of sorrow wiped from our eyes. It isn't streets of gold or mansions that never need repair or alarm systems. The most intense pleasure of heaven is found in the final vision where we shall worship Him and see His face to the glory and praise of God. Now that's good. And we say God is good all the time. God is good. It will be for all time. <laughs> God is good. Whew, okay. Calm down, Todd. Alright, uh, I close with this hymn, the words of this hymn. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will soon be o'er when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Let's pray. Okay, God, here we are again. You're not surprised because you know us. You know right where we are. And Father, um, you want us to run forward, not look back. What does that mean this morning, Lord? As we have an altar that's open, uh, as we run to you, does that mean running to this altar in prayer? Does that mean uh, running to you by praying directly to you for mercy or grace or to make a decision before you um, where we stand, where we sing? Uh, does it mean announcing to your people this morning, this is what God is doing in my life and I want you to know. Father, we, you know, sometimes this is like, well, we got to get out of here and get to our meal. Lord, help us understand that this is holy time, Lord. Uh, it's a chance for you to speak to us and for us to say yes and I just pray that happens in this time set aside. Uh, do far more than uh, I could do or any of us. Do what you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.